Um, hey, everybody. My name is Thomas. Uh, I'm the campus minister here with RUF, if I haven't met you yet. Um, man, there's some, a lot of microphones all around me, and I'm really worried as to what, that could, what could happen there. So I'm just going to be right here, and we're just going to roll with it. Um, but yeah, at RUF, we say, man, I should probably have done this before. I'm just going to roll with it. All right. At RUF, we say every week, you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And that's like a foundational thing that I want to say that every week because we're prone to forget that. Uh, We're prone to believe that we need to relate to God based on something that we're bringing to the table. Um, But the truth of scripture over and over and over again is that we don't relate to God based on our good works. We don't relate, relate to God based even on our temperament or things that are good about us. We actually relate to God based completely on his kindness. So that's what RUF's all about. And every semester we do a sermon series, uh, and this semester is no different. We're going to be going through uh, Jesus' kind of most famous teaching, uh, which is the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling this series The Good Life, because uh, that's what it most fundamentally is. Uh, it's Jesus' vision of what it means to live the good life. And last week we uh, started off kind of at the end of the sermon, where Jesus at the end Um, He has just kind of given this sermon, and and the people were astonished. They were astonished because of his authority. And last week we considered, uh, what what does it mean that Jesus is an authority? Why is that good news? Uh, And this week we're going to be looking at uh, the beginning of the sermon itself in a passage that is kind of of familiarly referred to as the Beatitudes. Uh, And I actually had to look this up this week. Beatitude just means blessed are the in Latin. So this passage is going to say blessed are the like eight different times um, because Jesus is giving a blessing at the beginning of each of them. So I'm going to pray for us and then we can go ahead and get started. Father, we do thank you for um, this opportunity to get together and to study your word. Um, Lord, I do pray that you would uh, just bless us as we are um, hearing your word. I, I pray that you would open our eyes and help us to see Jesus um, and to see ourselves more clearly. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So as you could probably tell from that uh, thumb wars thing, that was a quote from The Office, if you didn't know that. I'm a a huge fan of The Office. Uh, One of my favorite characters uh, is Ryan the Temp. Um, He has a kind of like pretty interesting character arc. So he starts out as a temp at Dunder Mifflin, uh, the paper company. And then eventually he's going to business school and then he goes to New York and works in the corporate office and kind of becomes a big shot. Uh, Then he commits fraud, goes to jail, becomes a temp again. And then honestly, I don't really know what happens to him by the end because season nine is really not worth watching. Um, But in any case, Ryan, when he's kind of at the peak of his success, uh, he comes back to the office after he's become everybody's boss and he is looking good. Like, he's got his hair slicked back. He's got a haircut that apparently cost him, like, $200. He's wearing, like, a really dope suit. Like, and he's just talking in a different way, carrying himself in a different way. And he's in this conversation with two other characters, uh, Andy and Kevin, in the kitchen. And he's talking about how, you know, you can get a sandwich at any time of night in New York. Like, it's crazy. And, like, all the clubs that he's going to are just amazing. And then Andy, at one point, when he's talking to him, he stops him. He's like, dude... It's like, you're so money, and you don't even know it. But, like, you do know it. And then he walks away, like, he winks at him and walks away. And then Jim, another character, is sitting there, and he's like, do you guys really find that appealing? 
Like, is that, is, that, is that really as cool as you guys make it out to be? And then Andy says, well, I mean, let's see. He has a killer job. He's rich. He smells like what I imagine Pierce Brosnan probably smells like. <laughs> he wears really cool rich guy clothes, and he can get any girl he wants. And he says, so sorry, Jim. If you don't know why that's awesome, then you need awesome lessons. Okay? See, for, for, for these guys, for Andy and Kevin, Ryan is kind of like an undeniable vision of what it means to be a success. He's gone kind of from rags to riches. He's got the cool haircut. He can get any girl he, he wants. His life is what they aspire to. And I think each of us kind of has a distinct vision of what it means to be successful. What it means to be successful. Uh, for some of us, success means accomplishing everything that we do with excellence. For others of us, uh, success means making sure the people around us feel cared for. Uh, For others of us, it means chasing accomplishments, whether that's a relationship or grades or some job in the future. And still for others of us, it means just being a cool person with with a rich inner life. So however you define success, what we're going to see in our passage tonight is that Jesus has a very different definition of what it means to be successful. Uh, In the passage we're looking at tonight, Jesus begins each verse uh, that Clay just read with the word blessed or blessed. Uh, Only Christians pronounce it blessed. Have you ever noticed that? Like nobody, when they're like hashtag, it's not hashtag blessed, it's hashtag blessed. That one's for free. Um, But when we hear the word blessed, what comes to mind? Uh, If you're anything like me, uh, the word blessed, it, it brings to mind material gain, right? Like Chance the Rapper, it seems like blessings just keep falling in my lap. We think about like you're getting good stuff. That's what we think of when we think blessing. Uh, But the way that Jesus is using this isn't referring to material gain. Uh, What he's referring to, it's more of a status. He's saying that there is a certain type of person who is blessed. And what he means by it is the blessed person is what we would call a successful person. A person who is living a life that is kind of high-five worthy. A person who, in the words of Andy Dwyer, is, or not Andy Dwyer, that's a different show. Andy, Nard Dog, is so money that they don't even know it, but they do. So as we look at the passage uh, tonight, we're going to consider this question. What does it mean to be a successful person? What does it mean to be a successful person? And we're going to see uh, two answers from Jesus. So if you would look with me uh, to the first four Beatitudes here, um, starting in verse 3, they describe what it looks like for a person to successfully relate to God. So when I even say those words, success and relating to God, like what comes to mind? What do you think it looks like to successfully relate to God? Uh, The original audience of this sermon would have had a pretty clear idea of what it means to relate successfully to God. Uh, They would have thought of a person who knew the Old Testament scriptures backwards and forwards, uh, a person who spent all of their life praying, a person who uh, fasted, who who went without food in order to prove how dedicated they were to God, a person who tithed everything that they had. Uh, Essentially, they were describing what was called a Pharisee. A Pharisee, it was a kind of religious sect at the time of Jesus um, that their emphasis was this all-of-life obedience to the Bible. Like, they, they were going to be the people who had this kind of, like, CrossFit-level dedication to following Jesus, or not following Jesus, to following the Scriptures. 
And so this Pharisee, in their mind, it would have been a successful person. And I think for us, when we think of, like, what does it mean to have a successful relationship with God, we might tend to think similarly. Like, we might tend to think of a person who is maybe like the the quiet time ninja, right, who has the amazing experience of reading the Bible every day for like two hours, and they see like heaven and earth kiss, and they just have the French press coffee, and they Instagram it, and like the Lord speaks to them, and it's, it's just, it's amazing. They know the Bible backwards and forwards. They're the type of person who like sits next to someone on a flight, and just like through talking with them, that person is like a Christian automatically, right? Like this is the person that we imagine has a successful relationship with God. And what I want to say is like all of those things are good. Like it's good to care about reading the Bible. It's good to pray. It's good to fast. It's good to tithe. It's good to share the gospel with people that you sit next to on a plane. But that's not actually what Jesus's view of successfully relating to God is. So let's look actually at the passage and see, see how he describes this. So in these first four Beatitudes, Jesus tells us that the successful person relates to God by grace. The successful person relates to God by grace. Uh, So what does it look like to relate to God by grace? We see in verse 3, it looks like being poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Uh, The word poor there, it's used kind of as a shorthand uh, for a beggar sometimes. Um, So it means kind of being a spiritual beggar. Like the first thing that Jesus says about being successful in your relationship to God is that you are a spiritual beggar. It's an interesting place to start. Uh, you, You need to be the type of person who recognizes that in and of yourself, you don't have anything to offer God. Actually, you come before him with open hands, knowing that he's the only one who can give you what you need. And then second, we see that the successful person relates to God by grace by by mourning. In verse 4, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And I think, like, at this point, you're like, does Jesus just want us to be miserable, right? He says the successful person is poor in spirit, and they mourn. And I don't think what Jesus is saying is that you just need to be sad in order to have a successful relationship with God. What he's saying is there's a certain sadness that the Lord blesses. There's a certain sadness that is holy. And it's a sadness that recognizes that this world is not the way that it's supposed to be. It's a sadness that recognizes the presence of sin in our own lives, the presence of sin in the lives of those around us, the presence of sin in the world. See, there's such a thing as mourning being being good. Like, I don't associate mourning with success, but Jesus here says that it is the successful person who mourns at the sin that they see in their own lives and at the sin that they see in the world around them. He also says uh, in verse 5, he says, Blessed are the meek. Being meek, it just means being humble. It means uh, being comfortable with the fact that you are poor in spirit. Being comfortable with the fact that, that you are a person who sins. And being comfortable with other people actually knowing that about you, Right? So it's, it's one thing to come before God and confess to him, like, I am poor in spirit. I have nothing. I need everything from you. And it's one thing to mourn your sin before God. It's another thing entirely to have people know the fact that you're a sinner. <laughs> to be honest about that before people. And to invite people to point out areas where you have sinned. That's a whole different thing. 
And then Jesus says that this successful person who relates to God by grace, he says in verse 6, that they are one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. So it's a person who recognizes that God alone can fill them and satisfy them. So Jesus says that it is this type of person who is at home in his kingdom. It's this type of person who will be comforted. It's this type of person who inherits the earth. It's this type of person who will be ultimately satisfied. You see, it's the person who relates to God by grace who is a success. And I think this is counterintuitive. Like if Jesus is kind of like a boss and he's coming to you and he's like, this is what you need to do in order to succeed. Like all of the things that Jesus has just said are not what you would expect, right? He just says that you have to be essentially like, he didn't really give you anything tangible to do, did he? Like this kind of flies in the face of our expectations. Uh, And Jesus consistently uh, kind of hit on these values. He tells a story in the gospel of Luke Uh, that kind of gets at his upside-down vision of success. And it's a story of a man who everyone in that culture would have viewed as a success, a Pharisee, and then a person who everyone would have viewed as a failure, a tax collector. So a tax collector would have been a Jewish person who would have kind of been viewed as a traitor by everyone around them because they kind of worked for the Roman overlords. And they would, like, extort all of their friends and neighbors by getting the taxes that they owed to Rome and then also taking some extra for themselves. So a tax collector is like the definition of a failure to a Jewish person at this time. And Jesus tells this story of a Pharisee and the tax collector going to the temple. And they they both are going there to pray, to worship and to pray. And the Pharisee, this spiritual success, the guy who everybody wants to be, gets up and prays like this. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The thing about this prayer is that he's like, he's technically correct. Like he does do all of those things, but even just listening to it, there's something repulsive about that, isn't there? But then Jesus also tells us that there's a tax collector who comes to the temple at the same time, and his prayer is quite different says the tax collector stood off over to the side and he wouldn't even look up to heaven and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus, to like kind of the shock of everyone who was hearing this story, said that it was the tax collector who is a spiritual success. He said the tax collector is the one who is in right relationship with God, not the Pharisee. You see, the tax collector is in right relationship with God because he relates to God by grace. By God's kindness. It's like what we say every week at the beginning of RUF. We relate to God by kindness. The tax collector knows his poverty of spirit. He mourns over his sin. He is humble and he knows that only God can satisfy him. So the successful person will relate to God by grace. But you might be thinking, like, how do we know if we're relating to God by grace? Like, some of you may have been a Christian for some time. You might confess. And like when I say, you know, we're never so good, we're never so bad, and you hear God's grace, and you're like, yeah, I'm on board with that. But how do you actually know? Like, how do you know that that's not just something that you say, but that's actually who you are? I think you can know in a couple ways. Uh, First off, if you're relating to God by grace, you're going to put your confidence in what Jesus has done for you and not in your spiritual success or failure. 
You see, success is not being like a ninja at having a quiet time every day. It's not being the type of person that every time you talk to someone, they automatically become a Christian. It's not only listening to Christian music. It's not wearing Christian t-shirts all the time. You see, you can say that you are a success in your relationship before God 100% and completely because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You see, you are at your most successful as a Christian whenever somebody asks you, how's it going with you? Like, how's your heart? You can say, well, Jesus rose from the dead, so I'm great. You see, that's when you're at your most successful, when you're receiving and resting in what Jesus has done for you alone. It's not your performance. It's what Jesus has done that determines your success in your relationship with God. So we'll look more and more to Jesus if we're relating to God by grace. But I think also if we're relating to God by grace, we're going to be more and more able to talk about our sin. We're going to be more and more able to talk about our sin and our failure. You see, if, if Jesus really has done for us what the Bible tells us, then we, the pressure's off. We can talk about the ways that we don't measure up. We can talk about the ways that we have failed You see, we're most successful in our relationship with God when we're honest about our failures. You see, the call of Jesus when he pronounced the kingdom was not, uh, you know, just come follow me. It was repent for the kingdom is at hand. What he wants you to do in repenting is to name the specific ways that you have failed. And he wants to heal you. He wants to heal you of your particular sins. And when we rest in grace, we're able to do that because it takes a lot of courage to talk about the ways that we failed. It takes a lot of security, and Jesus gives us that security. So the, being a successful person according to Jesus, it means that we relate to God by grace. But second, being a successful person according to Jesus means that we're going to reflect that grace to others. Uh, so we see this in the last four Beatitudes. In the first four, Jesus is talking about This is what like a successful relationship with God looks like. And then in the last four, he's talking about this is what a successful relationship with other people looks like. And he says that the successful person will reflect grace to others. So what does it look like to reflect God's grace to other people? He starts off in verse seven, says, blessed are the merciful. First off, a a successful relationship with people, relating to people well, means that you are going to be merciful. You're going to be merciful. What does it mean to be merciful? It means a person who is under, being like a person who is understanding of other people's sin. Of being the type of person who gives people the gift of not being surprised by the fact that they're weak. And how can you not be surprised that other people are weak? You are aware of your own weakness and fragility. Successfully relating to other people doesn't mean that you have these crushingly high expectations of people that you're like an expert delegator It means that you have a category for people's weakness and brokenness. It means when someone does something that's like completely inexcusable for you, like you're searching for why they might have done that sort of thing. It means that you're aware of like the broken places in your own story. So when people share stuff like that, that you can you can actually meet them in their story. You can understand why it would be hard for someone uh, to show up in the way that you're asking them to because of the people who have hurt them in the past. So being successful, uh, it means to be merciful. Then we see in in verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart. What does it mean to be pure in heart? 
Uh, I think it means to be a person who relates to others with integrity. A person who relates to others with integrity. Um, it's so easy to use our words to like kind of achieve a hoped for outcome. Like it's so much easier to like when you're dealing with someone who's freaking out to say the thing that you know is going to calm them down rather than what they actually need to hear. <laughs> you see, being pure in heart means that there is like a unity between what you do and what you actually feel. There's a unity between who you are and what you do. It means being like Jesus. So what else? We see that Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, what's a peacemaker? It's a person uh, who cares more about people than winning arguments. Uh, And this doesn't mean that you just have to, like, go and become an Enneagram 9 all of a sudden. Like, you don't have to just go and be a peacemaker. This is not, like, you need to be passive. Actually, being a peacemaker is a pretty, it's a pretty active thing. It means wading into disagreements with people. And being the sort of person that cares more about the relationship than the argument itself. And how much do we need to see that right now? I mean, like, how divided is our culture? How divided is this campus? What would it be like for a group of people to catch a vision for being a peacemaker? For being the type of person who cares more about people than about winning arguments? And then kind of the hardest one here, Jesus says that you are being successful in relating to others when you are persecuted, when you are persecuted. And not only that, when you are reviled and when people utter all kinds of evil words against you on his account. See, Jesus is is brutally honest with us here because he knows that a person who offers God's kindness to people, a person who offers God's grace to people will often not be treated well. And how does he know that? Well, what's the story that we tell every week? Jesus, the perfect man who loved everyone perfectly, went to the cross. Jesus was hated for following God's word. He was hated for being like the best person who ever lived. And he's honest with us that we can expect more of the same if we're going to follow him. So Jesus says the person who reflects grace to others, he says that they will receive mercy. They will see God. This person will be called a child of God. This person will be at home in the kingdom. This person will have a great reward in heaven. Ultimately, according to Jesus, it's the person who reflects the grace of God that they have received to others who is successful. Uh, And maybe you're something like me and you're hearing these qualities uh, and you're thinking, those don't really sound like sustainable ways of relating to people. Like, it, it is beautiful, in a sense, to, to be merciful. It's beautiful to be pure in heart. It's beautiful to be a peacemaker. It's beautiful to be faithful, even in persecution. But, like, how do you sustain that? Right? I mean, to be merciful, it means making room for people when they don't pull their weight. It means when you're in a group project with someone and they, like, had a meltdown. It means, like, pulling the weight and, like, not being mean to them in that moment. It means when your roommate has just decided that they're going to let the dishes soak for like five days, you know, because you got to let them soak, obviously. It means that you might jump in there and do the dishes for them. See, being merciful, it's, it causes a sort of death, right? Like you have to die to your own desires to have your way in order to be merciful. And the same is true of being pure in heart. Being pure in heart means dying to your desire to control people and instead telling them what is true. 
It means telling people when you're hurt rather than pretending that things are good. And man, if you're anything like me, that is like the hardest thing in the world to tell someone that they hurt you. But that's what being pure in heart means. It means dying to your desire to control people, dying to to your desire to just keep your own peace and avoid conflict. And being a peacemaker, it means getting in the middle of people's mess and helping to bring them together. It means saying no to your desire to just like win arguments and dunk all over people and instead choosing to love people. And then, of course, being persecuted for Jesus' sake, it means that you will have to die to your desire to be liked by everyone. You see, all of these things require death in some way, shape, or form. Reflecting the grace of God to others requires death. It means saying no to things that we will often want to do. It means uh, doing the hard thing when there's a much easier road. So I think the question we need to ask is, why in the world would you choose the way of death? Why in the world would you choose this vision of success that Jesus has set before us? Um, So I recently heard a story um, of a priest uh, during the kind of World War II era. His name was Maximilian Kolbe. I mean, that's a heck of a name right there. Um, But he was a priest in Poland And when uh, the Nazis invaded Poland, he immediately kind of jumped into sheltering uh, Jewish people during the Holocaust. Um, And as you can imagine, he was arrested shortly thereafter in 1941, and he was sent to Auschwitz, um, which was the like kind of most terrible concentration camp that you could go to. And shortly after his arrival, there was an escape attempt from these three people who actually like made it pretty far Uh, But the guards finally caught them, and they decided that they needed to make an example of them in order to kind of instill fear in the hearts of all of the prisoners. So these three men, and then they chose seven others that they were going to put in this bunker that was like kind of an open-air bunker on top, and they were just going to put them down in there and starve them. And you could hear the men as they were starving. You could hear them screaming and crying out for relief. And it was a way of just kind of like instilling fear in everyone. And so one of these men, uh, who was one of the three who tried to escape, uh, as they were about to put him in this bunker, uh, he cried out and he says, like, please, no, I have a wife and children. And Father Colby, who was there, um, he was a single man, of course, but he heard this man cry out and he volunteered to take his place. And much to his surprise, the guards actually let him go. So Father Colby went into this like death bunker and was there for 10 days and he finally died. Uh, And the man whose whose place Father Colby had taken would later write about his experience. He He said of Father Colby, I could only thank him with my eyes. I was stunned and could hardly grasp what was going on, the immensity of it. I, the condemned, am to live and someone else willingly and voluntarily offers his life for me. A stranger. Is this some dream? You see, what Father Colby did with him stuck with him. Because what Father Colby did was that he chose the way of death. He chose the way of the cross, and he didn't have to do that. What in the world could make someone do that? You see, Father Colby was a man who knew Jesus. He was a man who knew Jesus, and he knew that Jesus had chosen the way of death for him. 
And because he had seen that Jesus chose the way of death for him, he, he felt compelled to stand in and do that for someone else. And he knew that in choosing the way of death, he was following his Savior who had, followed, who had trod that path before him. But even more than this, he knew what happened after Jesus' death. He knew that after Jesus' death, Jesus entered into death and he killed it. I heard a, a pastor say one time that Jesus blew a hole in the back of death and he was raised. You see, he knew the way of death would end in resurrection life. You see, Father Colby was a successful person, according to Jesus. He chose the way of the cross, and he did that because he knew God's grace. You see, being a successful person, it means relating to God by grace and reflecting that grace to others. It means seeing the grace of God poured out for us in Jesus and responding by loving other people the same costly way that Jesus has loved us. Amen.